Hey, hey, so I'm here with the famous Doug Hetherington. And uh, so we've, we have been talking about how, um, you know, the characteristics that Mavericks have in our industry. And, uh, uh, you know, what juices me up, we were kind of talking about that earlier, is about how it's folks like you who are thinking out, you know, there's a problem, you know, the, the system that we have, it's not sustainable. So what do we need to do so that someday when you and I are in the system as patients, how are we going to get good care? Yeah. How are we going to afford care, right? So, yeah. and, and the Mavericks are out there making that happen. So, and I was just telling uh, Doug earlier um, a little bit about the qualities that I have found being a newbie in the industry, coming from 20 years of nursing, is that uh, what I really see that you and others like you I, uh, exemplify is that quality of innovation. You know, there's no girdles on your brain. <laughs> there's yeah. a problem and you're gonna find a way to make it work. And partnerships, you've developed some really synergistic partnerships that are really making a difference. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I would almost say the two go really almost hand in hand to some degree. And, and I think it was a lot of um, my experience as a broker, sitting down with employers, and, and just watching behaviors, observing behaviors, and then as maybe the recession hit a decade ago, then we had health reform, and I started to see how kind of those events were impacting behaviors and thought process. And as I began to see this, what it really was showing to me was this misalignment of, yes. of in essence, all of the stakeholders. And I felt yep. like we were almost all being pitted against each now other. Now aligned incentives. Absolutely. Yep. And what was interesting is, is I, I think I got mad and angry. And the moral side of me began to find little nuggets of maybe hope and opportunity. And as I began to kind of put those together, it was this recognition that, wait a minute, there maybe is a better way. But what really started to happen was when I started engaging more with clinicians, those that actually came from the healthcare side, and that's when the light bulb went off. And I think that's when that partnership mentality really started to come into play because the moment I started having those interactions and conversations and beginning to understand, I'll say the psyche and what drives the behaviors of the clinical side, I began to realize, oh my gosh, everybody's misaligned. I used to think it was the healthcare side almost against us. And what I began to realize is it was the health insurance side that was misaligned. Yeah. And so we've taken partnership as meaning, if, if we kind of rely on this health insurance infrastructure today, but we recognize that the clinician ultimately is the solution, we have to come together with that clinician you know, uh, population and say, all right, if the insurance side isn't going to align with us, we have to figure out how we're going to do this together. And I think that's where this partnership attitude comes in and that it's not about quoting, it's not about necessarily the lowest price, it's about realigning incentives and then looking at things from a value standpoint to say, is anybody being disadvantaged here? And being willing to say, that's not acceptable. Meaning it's so bad today, we have an expectation. It can get better for everybody. It should at least stay the same or get better. Right. And that's where partnership comes in and it's, it's, a, it's a mutual respect. And then the last piece of it is, I think you have to define who does partnership really include? And one of the things I learned as, I'll say, serving clients is that at the end of the day, the employer was in as bad a position as I was. And the decisions that we were making together, we believed were only impacting their, their you know, in essence, the employee. And what I came to learn is really, it was impacting the patient 
and the provider. Meaning yeah. that's where we're really impacting these people. It wasn't just so much in their, in their wallet, but literally it was having an impact on the care, which is having an impact to all of us from Absolutely. a societal standpoint. And so that's where I believe all of a sudden, you know, when we come in and say, let's realign here, the clinical side, this makes sense. But from an employer's perspective, they're going, wait a minute, this seems not only financially better for my employee, but we are now like the, the providers basically saying, let us take accountability for these people. Let us put our money on the line and we'll put our money where our mouth is. And to me, I've never seen an insurance company do that. So that's what I think is exciting about partnership. It's this realignment of everybody saying, hey, we can all do better together. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because what I hear a lot from different clinicians, especially if you're talking to like a primary care provider or a physician, a lot of how they dictate care is based on what they're told from, you know, the pocketbook, right? And that's not always how you get, it should be a consideration. Absolutely. It's an important consideration. I'm not saying it's not, but it shouldn't be the driver. I had a hospital CFO uh, who was operating his own health plan and discussing the situation they had with their, their ASO administrator, and he was kind of discussing pre-authorization, pre-certification, and he, and he made a comment to me that was, I think, it was, it was, it was a revelation, right? It and is basically, painful. here's a healthcare administrator, a gentleman that is running a healthcare entity, not just the health plan, and basically saying, why am I spending all of this money oh. to go and hire these doctors when somebody else, you know, case manager in a room, maybe in another state, maybe not even in this country, is then going to intervene and tell my doctor whether or not they were right on our own population, let alone the general population. And I, I always felt, well, wait, this is necessary. And when he's saying, you have no idea what the expense is to this, oh, plus yeah. the degradation to the care continuum, that is when I realized, I'm like, oh, we're yeah. making this so difficult it's on providers. It's such a burden for providers. So we remove that yeah. stuff. I, I, I think that's the whole side of it, right? Realigning incentives and recognizing if the physician really is the solution, and we believe that, and I think 99% of people do, well, let's get out of their way. Let's not make it difficult for them. Let's make it easier for them to really take care of us. I mean, I, I know that's what I want out of my provider, and I think that's what most people want. Yeah, you want somebody who's competent, who's caring, who you can trust and somebody you can afford. Correct. <laughs> well, and somebody that wants to see you. Um, yeah. I think, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to enough clinicians now that I, I've really learned that, you know, they, they go through schooling and, and they learn how to become a, a clinician, a physician to care for people. And once they actually get into practice, what they realize is um, they're an extension of the insurance agency and the insurance company's customer service. Oh. They find themselves 30 to 40% of the time explaining the benefit. You're hitting me right here. And to some degree, what they're conveying and communicating to that patient is how much more difficult difficult it is for them to actually obtain their services and, and it's like the, the clinician sitting here saying here's how much it's going to cost you if you actually need to come see me and that to me is so perverse in healthcare, and that's why we look at it and go man can a ten dollar copay just fix everything i mean if it's just 10 bucks i think most of us can swing that and even if you're a clinician, I've never had one of them said that, hey, if you can't pay your $10 copay, I'm not going to see you. Absolutely. In fact, all of them yeah. would say, I don't even care if they pay Just it. Just come like, in and we'll, we'll work it out somehow. Exactly, Absolutely. I've, exactly. I've had those calls with patients. And, you know, it's interesting as you mentioned that, I thought about how years ago when I went to nursing school, I almost dropped out of nursing school because of that. In the heart of L.A., as I'm doing my practicum, I realized it's really not about the patients. 
how am I going to get through this <laughs> and not have my heart die? Yeah. So, or how are you going to make it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. and I think that's, if you think if you put yourself in the shoes of a business owner, it's probably very similar to a clinician that is kind of front facing, understands the economics of how it's mm -hmm. going to impact their practice. And I think that there's this, this anxiety on both sides of this isn't sustainable. And, and so you get into these industries and you hear about it. And, and I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm reminded often of some of the highest suicide rates are within the clinical community. That to me, I'm going, wait a minute, that yeah. should be our highest class income. That should be the lowest percentages. But I think it really speaks to the dissatisfaction of the experience that they're having a of being a provider. It is hopelessness. hopelessness. And, and it's interesting because providers would like to have a hand in there. Uh, in, in terms of running the business in healthcare, but that's what their background. They went to medical school. They didn't necessarily take business school on top of that. So, and so, and you've done the impossible. When I first heard about Doug Hetherington, I heard about how he had taken this direct primary model and applied it to hospitals, and I thought, no. So, do you want to share a little bit about yeah. that journey? And yeah, you know, I think uh, along the way, I figured out, uh, in essence, how to contain costs on catastrophic claims but that comes at a cost. Uh, in essence, you give up that, that continuity and I'll say the uh, protective feeling nature of a network where you can pretty much go anywhere and know that, hey, that bill is gonna get taken care of. And yet what we were doing was basically applying usual and customary. And, and on occasion that created friction. And it was in one of my interactions with a, a healthcare executive, a CFO, when he really began to explain to me his frustrations and in essence, what my role as a broker, those decisions that the employers have been making, what that was ultimately doing to his revenue cycle, and, and the feedback he was getting from his clinicians and how it was degrading the care. And so it was this admission on his part that in essence, what he was experiencing on the healthcare side was almost exactly the same as the employer. And so it was like, wait a minute, if this is getting worse and worse for both of us, it's at some point we're gonna go off the cliff. And so they had had a desire to do something meaningful in their community. And I just approached them with the idea, kind of stealing this from the, the primary care DPC of, hey, what if we operated off your costs? But I, I made, made it like so neat to go to you. It's such a great benefit that 95% of the time, people are gonna come to your doctors and your facilities. And he looked at me and said, well, I don't know how you're going to do that but that would be extremely meaningful. We also discussed how do we improve your revenue cycle and make sure we pay faster. And what we began to realize is so much of this is tied back to the plan design. So what we decided to do was attach it back to his costs, but we were gonna do everything opposite of the insurance company. So we actually deployed the zero deductible health plan. $10 copay for primary care, 20 for specialist and urgent care. And if you walk through his facility doors, $400. So that could be an MRI to a spinal fusion or a knee replacement. It was a $400, that's it. Even having a baby. We don't have two deductibles and two out of pockets. It's just one copay for mom and kid, thanks for showing up. We don't charge you. There's no reason to be punitive within these health plans. And what he saw was, a really clean revenue cycle. That's what that meant to him. And so now we've gone back, we've got four or five years of this, we've got dozens of employers participating in it, 100% persistency. On average, their costs are now 30% under the rest of the market, 
and they're getting they're basically getting annual renewals that are in line with ordinary inflation. So wow. here we are, four or five years wow. in, the population that this health system started with then is in essence the same and growing today, meaning they are becoming more and more meaningful to their community on a daily more basis. More and more sustainable. And more predictable, meaning yeah. they know because they've set that schedule, they know how many people are coming in, they know what this revenue looks like, and they can count on it. You know why? Because every year they get to sit down with those employers. We all get in the room together, the employers, the providers, and even then the vendor partners that make all of this possible. And we celebrate, we discuss the successes around what we've accomplished in that community. And then about 10 minutes once we've gotten that done, we spend the next hour and a half discussing how are we gonna to continue to improve this? There's gotta be some areas where it's not right. And so every year we get a little bit better and a little bit better to where now in 2021, we're gonna be opening up into small group on level funded products, offering zero deductible health plans in the small group market. This is something that we have not seen in this state. Do you know what ever. this means, right? This is my polite wow, W-O-W, wow. That's my polite wow. Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, I think what's exciting about that, and, um, you know, maybe this was part of the success overall, but I always viewed it as if it wasn't mine. Back to the partnership mentality, I viewed it as three stakeholders. Uh, it was the employer, because they're financing it, the provider because they're providing the care, but at the end of the day, this is really about the patient. Patient and yet, provider and employer, right? That's either employee or patient. So they're incentivized. They, they have that unified person in common. And so that's how we make our decisions is around those three entities. No one else matters in all of this. And so that's why it's allowed us to be successful. And because we've deployed that partnership mentality, it has also allowed us to now work with other health systems to expand our footprint and, and allow this type of opportunity in more communities and more employers. So it's a different way of approaching it. It's it's not your traditional let's go in and negotiate. It's hey, let's but Mark is well be. It's everything that doesn't work today, let's go fix all of those problems and I'll bet when we get done building something it's gonna be a lot better than what we already had. Dumb luck or not, that's where we found ourselves. Did you ourselves. expect that when you started? What surprises have you uh, had that I, that you didn't expect to see? I think I hoped for it. I think I was confident in it. Um, candidly speaking, I actually felt that um, I felt it would be successful. I felt it would be 10 to 15 percent better than the market. I thought that was enough. So that's where you got the confidence. That's where it to was. To push back, push past the nose, and to really—it it sounds to me like as you develop these partnerships. And, and like you talked about before about how you're looking at you know what's in it for the person across the table how do i how do i make sure that my incentives are aligned with your incentives or, so that this person that it's all for mm -hmm. is taken care of you know what's interesting is so often if you think about how health plans operate today and even the provider community we're always looking back to the insurance company or the administrator for i'll say guidance meaning you must have the answer and what I've learned is seldom that do they have the answer. They may have a, a, a solution that is there, it just maybe isn't a great one. And so what we've identified is every time that there is a problem, we kind of come together as a partnership and we in essence address the problem in a unified manner to see who has ideas on how to solve this. And nine times out of 10, 
there is somebody within that group that either has the solution or knows of an appropriate entity to where the, the solution that we actually put in place is 10 times better than anything we could have ever imagined. And it may actually be benefiting one of the partners. You got again. a mastermind in there. It, it is. So it's well, to some degree, but it's like it's we're recognizing that these health systems are very large, robust organizations. They're, the, the clinicians internally, they're brilliant people. And so let's tap into that, that, that brilliance and all the resources of these health systems because the answer is probably within it already. One of the things I've learned, and I've had, I've had several uh, health systems, especially on the managed care, explain to me, in essence, why they provide the medical services they do. And more consistently, it's, well, that's what the insurance companies pay for. And I've asked them, well, is that what you believe is appropriate? And about nine times out of 10, they say, oh, on the whole, yeah, but. And it's always when they say the but, I'm like, I wanna know that now. What would you improve? Because I think these are the areas of success where I find if you think that's accurate, I'll bet you the employer or a subset of their membership is also frustrated with that same item. This is an opportunity well, to- there's not, probably, that's where you're gonna find your waste. There you, oh, it's yeah. amazing. The inefficiency yeah. and waste within healthcare, it is. <laughs> As I say, the more you peel back the onion, it just gets stinkier and stinkier. So what about for like your small hospital? So I'm thinking of my hometown, right? My yep. little small town hospital, and, that, and we've seen that recently, right? Small town hospitals uh, being closed because they just don't have the revenue. My home health department where I worked in North Idaho, they had to close their doors because yep. they, could, they couldn't keep that viable. Yep. So how would that kind of a model work in a smaller? Yep. Community. You know, what I would say is every every market is unique. Uh, and what I mean by that is whether it's the, the provider community, the health system, the, the payer community, meaning the insurance companies, what types of employers do you have, how competitive is that market across any of those, all of those are going to kind of drive what's the opportunity for, I'll, I'll say, success uh, or improvement in, in, that, in that given community. And, and or disruption, right? Because this correct. is how we've always done it. So you're talking Absolutely. about something that's completely foreign. And you make a great point. The very first community where we started this was exactly like that. Um, highly competitive from a healthcare standpoint, and yet almost no competition from a payer standpoint. So in essence, yeah. they were telling all of these health systems, hey, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And they finally got tired of it. And I think that's where they saw us as an opportunity. Now you ask about size, that's a critical access 25 bed facility. Now they act a little bit bigger than that. They are a robust health system. They have employed physicians. But with that being said, I don't know that size is so important. What it takes is will and desire of, I would say the employers in that market space and, and the, the providers in that community. And if you can get those two entities willing to, to sit, sit at the at table, the table. Yeah. again, they represent the same constituent, the employee and the patient. Yeah. And, and so together we look at it and go, you know, let's sit down and have a conversation. But with that being said, when you get into a healthcare market where there is a payer that is so dominant, it can be very, very scary for a hospital to somewhat thumb their nose back at that carrier and say, we think we can do this better. Um, so that can create a lot of friction. And so this isn't something that works in every community. Not everybody's ready to do it. But when you find those communities where the stakeholders, basically the value has been diminished and they're ready, it is absolutely amazing what you can come up with because the will and desire, the, the, the pent up need, so great across literally thousands and thousands of people, it only takes a few 
leaders at the top to come up with something that can truly make an impact across the community. That's pretty cool. So we heard it from Doug Hetherington, characteristics, innovation. You certainly talked a lot about that. And not only the quality of innovation, but how you tap into the innovation of your partners. I think that's really um, exponential um, benefit there. So innovation and partnerships. The heart, the heart of a maverick. Any last words that you want to share? I always like Tips to say for this. The, for other yes, mavericks? absolutely. Tips for any maverick out there. Um, I learned early to get out of the rut. And what I mean by that is that when I kind of left the, uh, the comfort of the product world of what was existing today and in essence began to recreate, uh, you realize very quickly you have to keep recreating. It, you, you can't just go back to the old solutions that as you're kind of innovating and creating these new ideas, it's going to create new opportunities and yet sometimes they're necessary. To, so you to have to be a little brave because I imagine there were some pain points along that path. There, there were. Um, I always thought bigger, meaning I thought past one. So we, we use this idea of scalability. Um, and we believe that if you're going to do this, you have to do it in a community and literally have it take over within a community. So it's kind of that amoeba effect. Three mm -hmm. becomes six, becomes nine, 27, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. And so you kind of have to look at it and say, well, if I'm solving this problem, who else could that potentially work for? And you have to begin to identify who those potential stakeholders are. And then the other side that I would say, and, and it's also to the innovation front, I think this goes back to behaviors and the way we think. And I would say this to anybody that is has any skin in the game about wanting a better healthcare system. Healthcare is the solution, not health insurance. And I think all too often we've looked back at, in essence, the financial world, the investment world. That's what these companies are, is investment companies. Check them out on Wall Street. They got trillions of dollars between them. But I think what we're beginning to recognize is providers really are the solution. So let's start to build solutions around them as opposed to a financial so, infrastructure. So not to interrupt, but one question that just popped it. Sometimes I have a gerbil. It runs up here really fast. I like that. So I totally, <laughs> sometimes I don't. So the healthcare part totally get. What about in the case of, I mean, a catastrophic, uh, something just, I'm thinking like your cancers, your multi-vehicle, uh, you know, accident and death, carnage and destruction. Yeah. How does that? So sometimes I look at, uh, I tend to look at things how they are today. Because you need big, big pockets for those Very big things. pockets, very big pockets, right? And that's where the insurance component of this comes in. And I think, you know, there is that spread of risk across large numbers. But I think something we have to also understand is that risk is not linear. And what I mean by that is, is, if you just think about it in general, we say health care expenses are going up at 7%. And that is not an accurate statement. Health insurance is going up at 7%. Now, let's start to look at true health care costs. If you look at it at the primary care level, the specialty level, uh, your diagnostic level, on average, we're probably going up 2 to 3%, right in line with ordinary inflation. But as we start discussing these more catastrophic claims, facility-based claims, and you start getting into $100,000 plus on a single member, that trend line of those size of claims is double digits. So think about that. When we're in the under 10,000, it's below ordinary inflation. By the time you get to 100,000, we're now at 10%. By the time you get to a million dollars, 20 plus percent 
trend year over year, which means we're having 20% yeah. more million dollar claims. And so my argument is those huge dollars are offsetting whatever we're doing at the bottom. And so what we do when we, when we work with health systems, and this may amaze most people, when you get into a larger health system, the doctors and in essence what's being charged at that primary care physician level, it's a loss leader for that organization, meaning they're yes. losing money at the primary care level. True. They're maybe breaking even on inpatient and they're making it hand over fist on outpatient. And when I sit down with healthcare, I say, To make Why? it all flush out. Yeah. And they're like, well, I think the insurance companies like this is what we're hearing. And I'm going, exactly, because they can keep paying more and more 20% trends. That's why we have a 7% increase every year. So what we're really saying is, okay, let's make sure we pay the health system appropriately at the primary care level with a, you know, a reasonable margin. And then even when we get into the larger claims, let's still make it fair. Maybe we're about even with that health system. But when we get to those that are the unthinkables, the million dollar claims, your creamy baby, uh, uh, catastrophic yeah. cancer, really acute, that's when our health systems step in and say, we're gonna help absorb some of this. Because let's remember what we're talking about is middle market employers, right? They may be doing 10, $20 million a year, but a million dollar claim could be a huge impact on that organization. Whereas you take many of these, you know, middle markets across the country and any health system might be driving two to four billion dollars in revenue every year. So when you look at the scale of that entity versus that of the employer, what we're really saying is let's have each of you play your appropriate role. Play in your own game. The 99% of the time of claims that are low level and frequency, you're going to pay with, a, with an appropriate margin. But that half a percent, one percent of the time when we have that unthinkable claim, the health system is going to step in as a partner and soften the blow. And here's what the result of that is. You go back to ensuring what you can't afford. Not no what you more 30% increases. Yeah. You now get back to every year is pretty normal. It doesn't mean you're not going to have a 10 or a 12 here and there when you have those rough, rough years. Yeah. But then they come back down. And that's the difference. And so if you begin to look at it over a 10-year trend line, the employer's trend lines up with the health system trend, which across the board is about 2 to 3%. And, and that's appropriate. That is appropriate. And that's the role of the Maverick, is to keep it appropriate so we can all have sustainable. it when we need it. Sustainable. That's what absolutely. it's all about. Healthcare needs to be sustainable for yes. the employer and for the provider. And the beneficiary of that is all of us, the patient. Absolutely. Well, next, my friend. Thank you.